This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm super grateful. You are listening to episode 377, and my guest is Lee Troop. Lee is a three-time Olympic marathoner from Australia. He ran in the 2000, 2004, and 2008 Olympics. He is a coach now. He coaches youth, community runners, elite runners, and he's very involved in the running scene in Boulder. So if you are anywhere near Boulder, I'm sure you know of Lee. Or if you've been following the sport of running at all, you definitely know of Lee. He is the coach to Jake Riley. Jake is one of the three men who made the Olympic marathon team for Team USA in 2020. He also coaches Carrie Vierden, who is a guest on this show here in a couple weeks. He's the father of three, and he's really open and honest about his running, his coaching, and some hard moments that he's walked through during this time, as well as some passions that he is newly interested in. We are going to talk all about those things in this episode. I really enjoyed getting to know Lee, and I'm pretty sure you will too. This episode is sponsored by Prevenex. If you are looking for a great quality protein powder, something to supplement. I usually take their protein powder. It's called Neurofi Plus right after a workout, whether I ran or lifted. It's plant-based and it has a balanced mix of protein, carbs, fat with comprehensive, high quality micronutrients, probiotics, digestive enzymes, and more to help fuel your health. Oftentimes, I will just shake some of this up with water. I like the vanilla or the chocolate. And then I'll eat like a banana as well to balance it out and make sure I'm getting a good amount of carbs and protein in my post-workout snack. Then I shower, do whatever I need to do, and eat a meal like an hour or two later. I just find it super important to go ahead and fuel pretty quick after a workout. And I know that this is a sure bet that I'm going to do it. They also have great vitamins and supplements. Their Joint Health Plus is just legit. It is one of those supplements that you might wonder, like, is this going to make my joints feel better? I'm telling you, it does. I cannot even begin to tell you how many people have reached out to me and told me, thank you. I was doubtful and it's amazing. It delivers ingredients that are clinically proven to offer the most comprehensive and complete joint protection and relief on the market. So if you are thinking you're feeling a little achy, check it out. Joint Health Plus. All right. And listeners, you can all save 15% off your first order when you go to Prevenex.com and use the code ANOTHER, and that'll get you 15% off your order. I also get my uh, just my general good old multivitamins from them as well. That's Prevenex.com. Use the code ANOTHER for 15% off your first order. Okay, friends. Enjoy my conversation with Lee. Well, today on the podcast, we have Lee Troop on the show. Welcome to the show, Lee. Thanks for having me. Uh, really excited to interview you. You know, I feel like I followed you on Twitter, of all places, for a very long time. Yeah, it was, uh, I think, when I got my last contract with uh, with ASICS many years ago, 
they talked to me about this thing called social media and it would be good to uh, involve people into, uh, into my running life. And um, I laughed because I didn't even know what social media was back then. But uh, look at us now, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, I'm not on TikTok, but there's just so many platforms for, uh, for people to obviously engage and follow and, um, and enjoy what other people do. So um, it's been a good platform for me. You know, yeah, it's so fascinating to think of that, especially someone, you are what, you're 49? 40, turning 49 next month, yep. Okay, so like you're, the height of your professional running career was before that. So like the game has just changed so much in terms of what people are expected to share and put out there. And honestly, like it can be take a lot of energy and be time consuming if you want to do social media well. I have said this at least a hundred times, but I'm glad that I didn't have social media back in my day. Um, I think there's a lot of things to be thankful for when it comes to social media. I mean, and there are some people that do it well. There are some people that actually pay a third uh, person or a third company to come in and help. But I think we also too live in a world of not really knowing what's reality. And, you know, especially when we talk about things that come with, um, with mental health and things like that, Uh, I think that has a a lot to do with it. You know, people see what they believe to be true and then measure themselves up to that when really it's not. You know, there are are all sorts of different coaches and athletes and streams, but um, I do take a lot of it with a a grain of salt uh, so that myself doesn't get caught up into thinking that what is unrealistic is really realistic. Gosh, that is the truth. Now, you have four kids, don't you? Three. Oh, you have three uh, kids. I've got, I've got a dog that thinks he's one of my kids. <laughs> but, uh, I've got uh, three kids, twin boys that are 11 and a 16-year-old daughter. Uh, yeah, that's, I guess, another conversation for another day. But just everything you were saying about social media with the athletes and comparison and mental health, it's like that is one thing that I just don't want my kids to be a part of until they were are at least 16 because I feel like 16 at least when I'm from what I've heard from different therapists is that your brain is a little bit more developed that you can handle it but man it is a rough out there it is I mean we went through a, a really bad stage with my daughter when she was in middle school and you know a lot of that is you know kids come from different elementary schools so you know people are trying to work out who's the alpha and who's not and you know, then social media is really prevalent and, you know, you get kids that are always taking selfies and acting like their life's great. And, you know, we've tried to educate my daughter um, as well as we could. And it was, a, it was a really tough experience for her, but she come out of it the other side so much better. And, you know, she's in high school and she's got a really good head on her shoulders. She understands that a lot of kids use this to, you know, promote themselves and propel themselves. Um, and a lot of that comes from insecurities. And so, you know, luckily we have a, a really good relationship with our daughter. We can talk about the pros and cons of, of social media and more importantly, make her realize that a lot of the stuff that's out there just isn't true. And just to make sure that she can differentiate with that. And if she has a problem or with something that doesn't seem um, to be uh, right, to just come and talk to us about it. So um, it is a, it's a tough one and I don't think it's going to get any easier um, just because there are so many more new platforms out there now. And, um, it's tough, you know, now as a parent, you know, I mean, obviously with a coach and you have athletes that, you know, feel that they've got to do it, but as a parent, that's just a totally different ball game again. Oh, for sure. Okay. So let's talk about coaching. Uh, I want to talk about your career too. Lee is a three-time Olympian. 
He's from Australia. He's also well-known right now because he's coached Jake Riley, who made the Olympic team in the epic race at the 2020 trials for the marathon. What a cool finish there. Uh, I heard you say in an interview that that experience and, and that outcome was, I don't, did you say more rewarding than, than your own athletic performances? Talk to us about that a little bit. And, and maybe I'm misquoting you. No, you got the quote pretty much right. Um, as an athlete, uh, I coached myself for a lot of my career. So, you know, uh, I was a guy that was out there running 120 to 150 miles a week. Um, I was accountable to myself. And, you know, I trained at 8 o'clock every morning and 5 p.m. each afternoon. And, you know, I picked out my races and took off to do my races. And if races didn't go right, you went back and trained harder or made adjustments um, if things went well. Um, you either got carried away with it or, you know, you wanted more and you were striving for more. So um, as an athlete, I was always in control of what I was doing. And I think that was probably one of the reasons why I was reluctant to have a coach was because everything, the buck stopped with me, basically. Um, as a coach, it's it's so different because you're not just writing out the training programs, you are there going to races, you end up becoming somewhat of a motivator, um, at times a psychologist, and you really ride um, so many emotions. You know, when I entered this way back in 2011 to where I am now, I think I've had so many different metamorphoses of, of myself. And I don't know, everything is always evolving and changing. And there's so much that goes into coaching a person and you know I had great success with a lot of athletes you know Sean Quigley um, Laura Thweet uh, uh, John Gray um, and as we've sort of moved along and particularly after the death of John I've honestly found it harder to be really centered with my coaching because so much changes so quickly and so you really just I don't know you're on a knife's edge all the time um, you know making sure that their training's going well, if their training's not going well, what is it that they need to, to make changes with? Uh, what's happening outside of their running that's affecting their running and what changes can you help them with so that you can get balanced? Like we're always trying to get this platform of what I call even Steven, where everything in life is just is even. It doesn't have to be great, but we just don't want it to be um, terrible. We want as many even Steven days as possible because that cumulative effect of so many of those days is what makes you better. And so coaching Jake and having gone through what we went through with John and then Jake moving here and having the injuries and then having to have surgery and then trying to rebuild him back into being the athlete that he was, um, it was just so much more than me having coached myself and me having got to the Olympics. I mean, it was great and I had a, a network of people around me that that helped me, but being a coach and putting so much into the athletes that you put into and knowing that you'll have success with some and not with others and going through high moments, low moments, good times, bad times and investing so many days, so many months and so many years into someone to finally see that come to fruition. Um, it, it's just amazing. And as I said, coaching the athletes to the success um, that I have um, has been probably more rewarding than coaching myself because I controlled the narrative with just me. But when you're coaching someone, there are just so many other variables that come into play. So it's um, it's a tough gig, that's for sure. Yeah. 
I mean, you're just, you know what's been done. You know what work has been put on in. Like the psychology of it, you've been a player in that. And now you just kind of let them go. Go do your thing on race day. It's, there's an old saying in, a, in Australia, and that is that you can lead a horse to water and you can't make it drink. And, you know, here with athletes, you can put every single thing in. And then once they go to the start line, it's you're in the hands of the gods and you just don't know how things are going to play out. And, you know, sometimes you have an athlete that probably gets a little bit of white line fever and they don't execute the plan early and then they pay the price for that. Um, you get some athletes that lack a little bit of confidence and so they don't execute when they should. But on that day, Jake executed every single thing to the letter. And I don't know, it was just a, an amazing moment. And I don't know with, I'm pretty sure with what I'd gone through over that couple of years leading into that, magnified that moment even more. Um, I mean, when Laura won USA Cross Country here, that was amazing. She ran 225 at London. They're all different in, um, in as a coach, the, the love and appreciation you have for that success. But just with Jake's at that time, with everything he'd gone through personally and the adversity he'd faced to then come out and deliver that race the way that he did, um, I just felt it was something better than I'd ever achieved as an athlete. And for those listening that don't remember this race, it was like a sprint to the finish at the end of the Olympic trials. Tell me, where were you standing and did you get to see the actual finish? Yep. So I think I was with most athletes that were, it was probably around about the three mile mark and there was a a bar that was showing the actual race. So uh, you could come out onto the street, you'd see them go around, you'd go straight back in, you'd watch it on the TV. I had um, all sorts of different um, uh, equipment going. I had my iPhone and my uh, my computer and there was tracking. And um, so everything was just on. And we had um, a number of people from uh, Boulder that were here. So you're sort of trying to entertain them as well, you know, because they've come out to watch Jake and support Jake. And everything was just going so quick, even though it was so slow. I mean, the race goes for two hours and 10 minutes. But you're just a nervous wreck sitting there because, as I said, you can't do anything more and you just hope that all the, the days, the weeks and months of all the preparation that you've put in for two years comes to fruition. And when the guys made the move earlier than what they did um, and Jake stayed stayed in the same position that he was in, once we were sort of getting that 16 miles, 18 miles, I started to panic that the advice that I'd given him was incorrect. Um and he went just a little after when I told him he should start to make his move and everything played out. The guys that were too aggressive early with the wind and the nature of the hills on the course started to fatigue. Then you had a lot of the guys that were doing too much surging in that middle section that ended up starting to fatigue. And then Jake all of a sudden was just on the back of that pap. I mean, Rupp was gone. So, yeah. you know, there was no question about who was going to win the race. That was already decided. But all of a sudden, second, third, and fourth were up and down. And I just felt that Jake had more left in the legs because he wasn't aggressive early. He wasn't caught up in all that surging that was taking place in the middle of the race. He had positioned himself well in the group, so um, he wasn't doing a lot of the work into the win in that critical part of the of the early to sort of two-third stages of the race. And then he just let it rip and... I didn't even know he got second. Like I raced and I'd called my wife and there was a delay in the telecast and I sprinted into the finish line and 
I didn't even, I just saw flags. I didn't know what had happened. And um, a good friend of mine, Brian Metzler, happened to be at the finish line and he was screaming at me, Troopy, he got second. Troopy, he got second. So, um, again, that whole thing of not knowing whether he was second, third or fourth, yeah. not seeing the finish, um, I think that just added to the suspense of the of the morning, which, um, again, was just so surreal. <laughs> Let me ask you this. You know, you said – I wasn't sure if the advice I gave him was right, you know, once they took off. Uh, I'm curious as a coach and someone who obviously ran super competitively your entire career as an Olympian yourself, like how much of it is, I know what my strategy is going into this race, but also like I have to race this race and make decisions in the moment that might not follow the exact plan. How do you play with that as an athlete? And as a coach. So as an athlete, like, I mean, I always just went with the leaders. I never really had a plan B, plan C strategy. I just went with the lead group and, you know, I'd run until I blew up. Um, <laughs> and I think probably having a coach uh, advising me differently or someone that I had faith and trust in might have played um, a little better to my advantages. But just knowing my my makeup mentally, you know, I was just that type of athlete. Um, and so with Jake... He always knows that here is the strategy. Here are the possibilities of what could happen in this race. But nothing is set in stone. You know, when you get in there, you have to be flexible and you have to use your intuition. And, and Jake's a lot older than me coaching someone that's 23, 24 that hasn't had the experiences of being in so many races at a collegiate level than as a professional athlete, as an international athlete. So with Jake, like, I doubted myself because the move happened early and so many guys still went with the move. Um, and then I'm just like, that's just going to be too much ground to make up. But Jake just stuck to the plan that we had. And it, you've, it's such a special talent to be able to back yourself in that situation and know that they're running away and know that you want to go with them, but be like, no, this is what the coach talked about. This is what I'm going to stick with. And then just have it fall the way that it fell. I mean, it's the stuff of dreams. It, it really is. You know, it's like a, a magical Disney movie of just, you know, seeing a, a moment, like a, a fake Hollywood moment happen like that because it doesn't really happen like that. So many things can happen at any given time. But on that particular day, everything aligned perfectly. The strategy worked. Jake had faith in the strategy and he went with it. Now, in races since, um, and particularly when we were at the Olympics, Jake didn't follow the strategy and he went on a gut instinct of what he felt was better and we didn't get the desired results. So, you know, what happened at Atlanta is not going to happen every time. Um, and so you've got to really enjoy that moment for what it is, um, but then also realise that the reality is that 99% of the times that you're out there, you're always scrambling and hustling and, and trying to work out what is the right thing to do you know in a race and you know sometimes it backfires and sometimes you get it right so um working with someone that doesn't have jake's ability there would be a lot more strategy and, and then a lot more emphasis on them following a specific plan but with jake i have faith in him that if he's in a race and something happens that wasn't part of the plan that he's smart enough and wise enough to know what he should do you know it's interesting as you were talking about that I was thinking about Laura Thweet, one of the athletes you used to coach, because at the Olympic trials, I interviewed her post-race, and I remember, I think she 
did different than her plan because she ran, you know, up up front most of the race and had an amazing race. But it's interesting because I think she said she looked at her coach and it was like, what's going on? But like she knew in her heart, like that was the race she was supposed to run. So it's just like the instinct versus the plan. You just have to, you have to listen to both really, it sounds like. Well, having coached Laura and Jake, they're completely different athletes. You know, Laura is exactly how I was. And she just likes to be aggressive. She likes to be in control. She likes to run until her legs fall out from underneath her and she's got nothing left to give. And you've got to try and navigate and manipulate in and around what is her strength. You know, if you take away that aggression that she has, then all of a sudden she becomes a different athlete and that might not be a better athlete. Um, With Jake, he's uh, a lot more controlled and reserved and he's prepared to strategize with a plan and no no plan is wrong like no no athlete with their makeup is wrong it's just trying to work out and navigate what is the best way to coach them to their strengths so that they can be the best athlete that they can be hey everybody a quick break here to let you know about shoot photography have you heard of them shoot offers 30 minute outdoor sessions that are free to book and you only pay for the photos you love. The sessions are perfect for family portraits, maternity, milestone birthdays, engagements, personal branding, and more. I am actually scheduled to have our family photos taken this coming Sunday. It's a 30-minute session. Really excited about it. I actually like that it's really short because there's less pressure. Like, we only have to do it for 30 minutes. I only have to get my kids to look at the camera or not look at the camera, whatever, for 30 minutes. So I'm pumped about that. And I'll share those photos on Instagram as well to see how they turned out. But this is a female run startup and they're in over 60 cities around the country, which is really cool. You have to go to their website to see if your city is in their territory. I know Raleigh, North Carolina, where I live is there's multiple spots all around where I live and also Indianapolis where I just moved from they're in there too so I bet your city might be as well so book your session go check out if they're in your location go to shoot.com that's s-h-o-o-t-t dot com when you go to purchase your photos to get 15% off five or more photos just use the code sandyboy and that'll get you 15% off five photos or more remember you book for free And then you just purchase the photos that you want. All right, friends, back to the show. So you mentioned um, John Gray, who I talked about in the episode I did with Laura as well, because she used to run with him and was teammates with him. And he's a runner that passed away. Um, Can you talk a little bit about how that affected your coaching and your group and how you kind of have overcome that season of life? I don't know if that's the right way to put it, but it's just a horrible, horrible thing that happened. Yeah, I mean, there's no way to get around it. I haven't overcome it, and mm. you know, I don't think I ever will. Um, and I have never been in a situation like this before. Like I've been in a situation where I've had people pass away and things like that, but not an athlete that I was coaching that had moved here specifically to be coached by me um, had entrusted me had 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 his battles with depression which we were aware of but then to take his life you know it it's I don't know 
we just celebrated, well, we didn't celebrate, but we acknowledged his um, fourth year of passing. And I don't know, it just shook the very foundations that um, that I had. And, it, you know, getting the phone call from John's mum uh, that night and then telling the team the next day and then trying to work through the processes, um, you know, the funeral. I ran LA in his honour and I think I went so hard at so many things that I ended up burning the candle at both ends and I just capitulated. And then having so many people in my group that were all dealing with different emotions as well. Some didn't really know John, some knew John. Uh, just, I don't know, piece by piece started to fall apart and I felt like I had absolutely no control over it. Um, and it probably wasn't until the end of the year that I had to take time out um, just to recalibrate myself. I think so many things had fallen apart and I just got so angry and frustrated and bewildered and disappointed and, you know, upset that I just had no control of my emotions. Um, I don't know where I was going. You know, it was like being on a road and then being in the middle of nowhere and not even knowing where the hell I'd ended up. So the process then was just, you know, take some time out. I had some other things that were going on in my life at the time that really compounded on that with a bad business investment. And, you know, that resulted in, you know, losing our house. And, you know, I just, I don't know, just it's like when an avalanche starts and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And when it gets bigger and bigger, it just gets to a point sometimes where there's just no stopping it. And um, I ended up just crashing and burning. And, you know, it was a long process of trying to get myself back. I think there was a lot of guilt and a lot of blame on myself with John and, um, you know, trying to work out, you know, what I'd done right, what I'd done wrong, um, what I should have recognised, what I, um, you know, didn't recognise. So I don't know, just um, even though we're four years on, uh, it's still tough because there are just answers that we or questions that we don't have answers to. Um, but I certainly know it's changed me um, definitely on a coaching sense in that um, my style seemed to be very uh, reflective of me when I coach myself. You know, I, I had an army dad, so, you know, there was just no messing around, right? If you're going to do it, you do it. Uh, that's why I trained at eight, trained at five. If people wanted to train with me, great. If they didn't, I still went at eight and five o'clock. I was very regimented, very robotic. Uh, for 20 years of my career and I brought that into my coaching and I feel like that um, it just probably wasn't a great fit for some people and one of the biggest problems I had when I first started coaching was I said yes to everybody mm. I just wanted to help everybody I felt that I could be that guy that just could coach everyone to success and one of the things I realized after John passed away that I had I had a good group, but I also had somewhat of maybe a bit of a dysfunctional group. And there were people in that group that I probably couldn't coach, but I was coaching. And it was to the detriment of me, to the detriment of them, to the detriment of the group. And so when I took time out and didn't know if I was going to come back to coaching, that was one thing that I was very, very um, protective of when I first started back was that I just wanted a small group. Just, you know, I had Jake and I had, um, uh, Tim and David and uh, Carrie and I was really happy with just four or five people that's all I wanted um, they would have liked more 
people to, to train with, obviously, but I just was not ready. And I didn't know what I wanted, honestly, and what I was looking for. But it has certainly been a process from 2019 into 2020. Then COVID hit, which didn't make things any better. But in 2021, I started to open the door up a little bit to the possibility of bringing new people onto the team. And just that whole process and philosophy is different now. So if I like them, I invite them to come and train with the group for a month. If I just feel like that there just isn't the chemistry there, then I'm pretty clear that I just don't feel like this is the right fit for them and then offer them suggestions on where they could look elsewhere. Um, but once they come into the team, you know, they have a month to show their their worth and then it's up to the team to decide. So they will sit around as a, as a team and they will vote and work it all out and then I'll hear from Jake and Carrie on what the verdict is. So um, I feel like that's a better way to go. It keeps everyone balanced, everyone happy. Um, and, yeah, like I said, it's just it's just a different way of going about things based on the situation that I was in previously, which is I take full responsibility. <laughs> like, But I just had never been in that situation, right? It's just like you're coaching, things are going great. Yep, I'll coach you, I'll coach you. Yep, come along. And I don't know, six months in, you start to see cracks with um, people and, you know, friction with members on the team. And um, I know it becomes hard to control in that situation because it's not like we are a sponsored group. It's not like I have complete ownership where it's my way or the highway. These kids have jobs. Like this is a choice. You know, they don't have to be there. So trying to now make sure that everything blends well physically, mentally, emotionally within the team, making sure that the team has buy-in on that um, just means that we've all got each other's back and we can protect each other and, you know, get the best out of each other. And, um, yeah, things so far have, have been good. What's the upside to not being a sponsored group and would you want to be a sponsored group? Uh, I get asked what I like to be a college coach as well. <laughs> um, I think the answer is that ha- being a sponsored group has its perks. There's absolutely no doubt about that. Um, you're also pretty guided into who you will coach based on who the brands are that are sponsoring the athletes trying to find the right fit which again it gets back to the problem that we do see in some groups that you know an athlete that is sponsored by a brand joins a group that's sponsored by the brand the coach goes along with it but they might not be the right fit for the group and so you know my situation is no different than any other situation so having a sponsored group I think would change the dynamics of what I want you know, because you sort of you, you can have what you want, but then you're also guided into what you should have. Um, so I think there's there's blessings and curses that come with that. Um, right now, because we're building, um, I'm glad that we don't, with that we're not sponsored. And if we were, I would want to have the setup that I currently have. I mean, I'm a great blue collar worker, you know, and I'm great with blue collar athletes. I my success has come with athletes that haven't been great in college or they were come out of college and they've been injured or they're looking for redemption and a second chance. Like they're the athletes that I have had the greatest success with because there's just more to it than just running. Like they're trying to balance their life. They've got to get a job. They've got to learn what it's like to be a professional athlete. They've got to book trips, you know, and those kids I love working with because it's not just about now it's about the future and whatever we can get out of them with their running and whatever um, insights I can give, whatever educational tools I can give them, it's just going to make them better in the future when they do 
walk away from the sport, you know, they'll become better employees, they'll become better brothers and sisters, family members, they'll understand about commitment and dedication and honesty and, and all those attributes that I think sometimes are a little lost. Like, I only jokingly said to someone the other day, like he said, what are the, what's the big thing that you, that you want, that you like? And I said, please and thank yous, because they are just, they're a forgotten art. Like whenever we go to restaurants, we'll always have a server compliment my children because they use their manners. And, you know, as a coach, I want to please and I want to thank you. We don't get a lot of it most of the times. And sometimes we feel like, you know, that we're just a, a commodity that's easily disposable. Um, so on those little basic things, you know, they're the things that I want. They're the things I know I can control. Um, they're the things I know I want my athletes to be able to appreciate. And so that creates a whole better spectrum of where there's harmony in, in what we do. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not, um, I'm not perfect in any stretch of the imagination. I know that I'm a completely different coach than what I was three or four years ago. Um, but if athletes are allowed to change and mold and gravitate to what they want, I think coaches should be able to do that as well. I think coaches have been stuck in this really rigid platform for such a long time that half the times you get kids wanting to coach the coach rather than actually listening and doing what the coach needs. So, um, so for me, like I said, I've, I've got this balance of freedom uh, that I that I enjoy, and I've got a good group of kids. And you know, I definitely don't want to have a big group. Um, we've got an amazing club. We have over 300 members in our club and a youth program and a, a teens program. And I get a lot of my athletes to be involved in those programs and be involved in a lot of community aspects we do because I want them to appreciate what they have. And at any time it could be taken away from them and to think of those that are less fortunate. I mean, I know this is all old and you know people should know this, but the reality is a lot don't. And again, it gets back to social media and all these things and kids are out there doing all these things and pushing forward, but we still need to remind them where they come from, what they've got, where they're going, and at any time it could be taken away and do they have the right foundations underneath them to still keep them afloat. Oh my gosh, I have so many thoughts from all the things you just said. First, when do I... when? can I stop having to remind my kids to say please and thank you? Cause I feel like I'm constantly reminding them. Yeah, we, um, so we challenge our kids a lot. Um, and we also take away privileges that they get, um, as a result, you know, and it doesn't matter who they are. If they don't know the person, there's nothing wrong with saying hello. When someone says hello to them, um, you know, like I said, when we're at a restaurant and they put their order in, it's always thank you afterwards. And when they get their drink and their meal put in front of them, it's, you know, again, thank you. Um, as I said, my dad was an army man. So it's sort of instilled and ingrained in me. Um, but yeah, kids, athletes, I, they're not too dissimilar. Um, <laughs> just the difference between athletes and kids is kids, they're like herding cats. You know, <laughs> the, the athletes are a little better than, than that and they know what to do. But you know, again, it just comes back to just um, I don't coach for money. Um, I coach because I love coaching. I love investing in people. I love seeing people grow. I've had people that have been part of my group that have left um, and have moved into other facets of their life and we've been invited to their weddings and they've had children and we've been able to see their children grow up. And, you know, having that relationship outside of running but knowing that what we had at a particular time was really valued and important and appreciated – uh, all really cool things. So as I'm getting older, and obviously I'm having more athletes that then retire or leave, I'm now really starting to enjoy that process. 
Whereas when I was younger, I was still competing. I just thought there was only one way and that was going to be my way and there was no flexibility. And and like I said, it it's taken a number of different metamorphoses for me to get to this point. And that's not to say that in another three, five, eight years that I'm going to not change. I'll continue to change as, as we move along. Yeah, I think that's a really important thing to talk about because people get set in their ways. Like this is what I do for a living or this is what my job is. Or, this is how I train. And sometimes it's time to make a change, but it's hard to do. It can be scary to do it because if you're used to something, that feels comfortable, right? Yeah, and I think that's the aspect of insecurity versus security is that, you know, changing something that you've been used to doing for so long, it, it does. It's, it, it creates fear because you don't know any other way. But, you know, it's no different than going to elementary school, middle school, high school, college, like you're there to learn. And you're always going to be in, we well, are always going to be outside your comfort zone as you evolve and learn. And I think that was the problem. I had had a 20 year career where I was so set in my ways and I didn't want to coach. I fell into coaching. And so I was just like, well, this is what I did and this is how it's going to be. But as I've got along and I've got to learn personalities and everyone coming from completely different backgrounds and there's different needs and wants. And um, I don't know, I, I, I didn't really have much of a choice. You know, if I wanted to continue to do this, I needed to, to change and evolve. And um, as I said, I don't think I'm a better coach. I'm certainly a different coach. And even though I've had two different coaching styles, you know, pre-John, post-John, I've still had great success both ways. But I just think as we move along, you know, you have to evolve, otherwise you end up becoming a dinosaur and no one wants an old dinosaur hanging around (laughs) talking about the ways it used to be. Um, What do you think uh, needs to be talked about with mental health in in regards to, you know, young adults in this profession and have you learned anything from the experience with John and in these last few years? Uh, Look, I've learned a lot. I, I really have. Um, you know, one of the topics of conversation I had with my athletes last year was that I wasn't being direct enough and I wasn't being hard enough. And I had to explain to them the fear that I had Mm. and that I still don't know to this day whether, you know, that was a catalyst in, in how things happened. And so for me, I don't want to push anyone over the edge. I don't want anyone to get to a point where there's just no retreat, no surrender. Um, and so it's hard for me to, then all of a sudden go back to adopting, you know, that dictated way, right? Mm. Um, and so it, it's just been a, an open point of discussion with with my athletes in that if they do something wrong, they want to be called out. Mm. And I think for me, I've just, I've just been in this cocoon for a good couple of years after John where I was just too scared to say anything. You know, it was just like, yep, no problems, yep. And I'd turn up and I was sort of somewhat of a shell you know, just there to hold their hands and tell them what they needed to hear. And, you know, I'd come home and I don't think that benefits anyone, but it's just been a process of of growing and learning over the last couple of years. And, you know, there's no, there's no one way to tackle mental health. Um, Everyone deals with things so differently. And I think the biggest thing that I've taken away is we just, we never, ever know what someone is thinking. Like we, we never do. And I always panic if I send a text message to an athlete and I don't get a reply. Mm. Yeah, whether that's Jake or anyone else on my team, like I'm like, hey, I'm texting. Like I, I need a response. I need need communication. And you know, 
I think trying to build trust and faith in a system right now is really hard because of the volatility. Um, we've obviously seen, you know, all countries at their worst during this pandemic. Um, and I think, I don't think, I hope that as we come out of this pandemic, the things that we've learned about thinking of thy fellow neighbour and um, and um, countrymen, that we take that on and that we don't forget about this. You know, there are people that lost their jobs. There are people that lost their businesses, people that lost their houses. So much tragedy has really come in the last couple of years because of the pandemic. And I just hope that we as human beings with what we've learnt never forget that. We don't all of a sudden move on when things are fine and then we just go back to our ways of not caring, not having any empathy, not having any sympathy you know, not being there for people when we need. I mean, Boulder has gone through so much tragedy in the last year. Like we've had a shooting. Mm. We had the massive martial fires that have come in. You know, in 2013, we had these massive floods that um, came down from from the mountains. And whenever we've seen tragedy here in this community, we have seen the very best in people rise. And, you know, I love putting on community events and charity events and, and giving back. I mean, just with our events alone in the last couple of years, we've given $50,000 away to, to local charities. And again, it gets back that I don't do the events and coaching for money. I do it because I have a love for it, you know, purely from running so much good comes from it. You know, the, the mental, you know, release, the physical release, the emotional release, like so many good things come from running that helps with mental health. And, you know, I coach people from first timers running to run 10 K and at a beginner level through to elites. And we're all interwoven with the same things. The goals are different based on ability, but we are all interwoven on wanting success and wanting to see improvement and wanting to move the needle to be better. And so when you combine all of that and then you combine community and charity, you know, it's really awesome to see people just really rally for, for one another. And as I said, I've seen so much good in the last year, despite the tragedy that Boulder has faced. And it's been really cool to really use the events that we have and the athletes that we have and the coaching that we have to uh, to try and make that better um, for everyone involved. And as I said, I just hope that as we move along and things get better, that we can always calibrate ourselves to just always remember and just remind ourselves. So, you know, the last three or four years has certainly been something of self-growth for me. But I just hope that that just makes what I do better for those that are involved with what we do. Hey, friends, a quick break to share with you about a new product, a new sponsor for this podcast that I am loving, Portland Bee Balm. Beyond the amazing quality of their balm, Portland Bee Balm is committed to creating sustainable products, which is hugely important to me. They are members of 1% for the planet, which means they donate 1% of revenue to organizations tackling our planet's most pressing environmental issues. This is so cool. Products that are useful, natural, and add value to people's lives and the world. Portland Bee Balm provides the best hydration for your lips with clean and simple ingredients. Since I put balm on my lips multiple times throughout the day, it is so important to me that the products I'm using are clean and effective. Portland Bee Balm has so many different varieties of scents, but my favorite is the organ mint. The ingredients they source and the packaging they use all support health and well-being to the environment and community. 
so awesome. Friends, go to portlandbebalm.com and use the code SANDYBOY for 20% off your first order. All right, back to the show. I mean, it's interesting when a tragedy happens, like how much people really do step up. And it's like, you can, obviously you can't sustain that kind of like rising up 24-7, like every single day of the year because the stamina wouldn't be there. But it's like, how do you, how do you get that energy you know, when tragedy isn't arising, but like bad things are always happening. You know what I mean? Like, how does that, how do we become a culture that always rises up, not just in tragedy? That's an amazing question because people handle tragedy so differently. Yeah. Um, and there are some people that have just got their blinkers on, they're completely oblivious to it. And then there are other people that are severely affected, you know, whether that is that they lost one of the 10 victims in the shooting uh, a year ago or whether they were one of a thousand houses that just were, were burnt down to the ground and you know it's great going to some of the areas that we go to, to to help out where they've got too much clothing you know they've got too many um equipment pieces to to pass on to people and you know we've had people that are involved in our club that lost everything and you know it just i don't know, like i said everyone handles everything differently and i'm not going to judge people on how they do i mean for some people there might be a trigger that this has already happened to them and so they don't Mm -hmm. embrace it because they're still dealing with their own hurt um there are some people that are assholes right that just don't (laughs) don't care like you know they just they're self-centered and they're going to go on and just worry about themselves but i always think that the best thing is to focus on those that need it you know you can sit there and waste your time just yelling and screaming at someone and it's just going to go in one ear and out the other. But yet there are other people that actually really could use that energy, you know, to be helped and to be motivated and to be encouraged. And so I think in that aspect, it's like focus on the things that you know you can help rather than fight a system that is probably not going to change. And from elections to COVID, like the whole world's completely polarised right now. But um, like I said, I think putting your energies into areas that you know are needed and are valued and will make a difference is much better than fighting the fight on something that's never going to change. So, you know, and I know for myself, I mean, I love my events, I love my coaching, but even over the last couple of years, I'm just like, I know I can do more. Mm. And, you know, I'm applying to go into the Boulder police force. And, you know, I've always wanted to be a a police officer and, you know, a 20 year career, um, unfortunately didn't uh, enable that to happen. And then I figured I was just too old and, when we had the shootings here in March, um, there was an officer there, Officer Tally, who uh, joined the police force at 46, 47, and it started getting me thinking, like, maybe I could. And, you know, I was like most people. I had a lot of anger with what happened. I mean, we were about to, like, we were an hour or two hours away from doing a, a fun run from a, a running store that was there at the time. And, you know, and then a lot of runners knew Maggie Montoya, who was in that situation. And, I don't know, I just made inquiries and then found out that there was a possibility and that my residency, because I'm an Australian citizen and not a, an American citizen, but being a resident, I could still join the police department. So I've spent the last six months going through a lot of the process and hopefully in March, April, um, that'll open up where I can um, start the steps forward. Now, there's no guarantees that that's going to happen, but I can tell you I haven't been as excited about something like this than I have in a long time. And I think because it's actually selfishly me and it's for me, um, you know, when I'm coaching people, it's great, but I'm coaching other people. And when I'm putting events on, they're great, but I'm putting events on for the community. 
Um, and so, yeah, the last couple of years, it's just like, I don't even know what makes me happy anymore. What am I going to do? Anyway, this popped up. And so I'm going to give it a crack. Um, the worst thing is that it just doesn't happen, but I'm certainly motivated and, um, and certainly, um, excited to just to see where where this goes but through a lot of the tragedies that we've talked about it just motivated me to want to do something different so I still get to stay in Boulder I still get to do the things that I do and I still get to be community focused which um, are all the the values that I have that's really cool yeah it's it's like when you hear someone that's like 50 and goes back to med school or something like I always wanted to be a doctor, but I thought the time had passed and they go back and do something really cool or like the 85 year old who decides she wants to go back and graduate high school. It's just like it's never too late. The man that you talked about was did, did he was he killed in the um... he was OK, he was the police officer. There was nine others and he was the uh, police officer that ran in. He was first on scene and ran in and unfortunately was uh, was shot and killed. But um, we're going to have a memorial run at, uh, that I'm setting up here with Runners Roost Boulder on the 20th of March. And, you know, it'll be like on a Sunday afternoon, 2.30, 3 o'clock, which is at the time when this tragedy took place. It actually took place on the 22nd of March, which is my birthday, which, um, you know, that's just a, another thing that you know, as you get older, you get bummed out each year having a birthday but now you know, my birthday is also tied into that but um yeah knowing that and I saw Maggie I mean I see Maggie all the time but I think about three months ago when things were actually going to be serious about uh, the police department I actually said to her I was like you're one of the reasons why I wanted to do this you know just as an athlete and knowing her coach Richie and knowing the situation of him messaging her and her being stuck there I, I mean, it was a helpless situation, right? But I know just so many of those things that, that happened were just like, well, you know, here I am. Right? I'm going to try and see if I can do some good from um, from something and, you know, at least be uh, a part of something, right? Like we're all so quick to, to criticise on things that we're not involved with. And it's like, you know, for me, I'd rather try and say that I want to try and be part of the solution rather than part of the problem. So, as I said, it might not happen. I might not get through. I'm pretty sure I'll probably fail the psych evaluation, but everything else <laughs> I should be good on. Um, but, yeah, like I said, it's just little things like that happen that I ended up questioning myself. And as I said, I love coaching, love events, and that's not going to change. I can still do that. But I'm just – I'm craving something more. And, you know, it's been a long time since I retired. You know, I mean, I was at the Boston bombings when that happened in – 2013 I won the master's race you know I was like 11th overall and you know that changed my perception of running like it it actually fast-tracked me to retirement I just that moment in time just you know again it was just tough to to be around and you know I've had two blood clots you know on my lungs as a result of of running and I don't know there's just certain things have happened where you know I fell into coaching, as I said, and events were quite easy and I've navigated around because I, I know I'm good at it, but I've just been missing that piece that is going to give me the fire, you know, and I think everyone should be selfish. You know, this is one thing I've said to my athletes last year. I usually come up with a word for the year that they need to continually say, and the word that I had for them last year was selfish. And I said, selfish is always seen as such a bad, bad word. But I said, I think selfish is a good word. I said, I want you to be selfish. I want you to think of what you need to do to make your running better. What do you need to do to make your life better? I want you to be selfish. And so I think in this instance, I use that word selfish of like, now, what do I want? You know, like what what's a piece that's going to, you know, just add a little bit more to 
motivating me at 49 to have a little bit more excitement and joy because I don't do a lot of running anymore. I don't do a lot of physical activity. And now I've got kids' sports and I'm bouncing around everywhere. So as I said, this will be fun. If I am able to see it out and uh, get through the academy, great. And if not, well, at least I gave something a crack and had a bit of fun trying. Yeah, I I love that so much. I just read the the I just finished the book of joy, uh, by the Dalai Lama and well, it's not it's it's a conversation between the Dalai Lama and Archbishop Desmond Tutu and um so much of our life is like figuring out what our purpose is and like what um what like drives us to do good or whatever you want to call it and I think like what you're talking about with the police service is like that's that's you like fulfilling that like purpose that you want to fulfill to to help the community and to you know that that tragedy like put that in your head and though it like that word selfish is in there because it's like so you can fulfill your purpose the actual like the actual act of that isn't a selfish act you're like helping the community and I think oftentimes that's the case right that yeah. fulfillment we get is because we're helping somebody else. But you have to, yeah. you have to like get into what you really want. Because if you're just doing something for other people, but you don't really want it, it doesn't really work. So that's what I call an internal and an external factor. You know, so the internal factor is that this is what I want to do. The external factor is these are the people that I benefit. These are the people that I help. These are the people that, you know, I'm providing a service for. And, way back at the start of the podcast we talked about you know social media the problem with having a platform like that and some of the people that get on there and people trying to differentiate between what's fact and what's not is they can't work out what an internal and an external factor is they can't work out like selfish is so bad i i don't want to do that i have to be loving and caring well we should by nature already be that way right so it's like again what is it inside that you want that is completely oblivious to what you see in front, you know, like without looking at any other um, platform or what any other athlete is doing or what any other person is doing, what is it that you want? And it doesn't matter how outlandish it is. Like you talked about a 50 year old that wants to go back and do medicine, right? I love people that are going to throw it up against the wall and give it a crack. I mean, what's the worst thing? Like, all right, you fail. And, you know, I never as an athlete had a problem with failing. I always risked everything because risking something can create beauty when you're successful. Um, and then, like I said, when John passed away, I think there were just a lot of factors that I just bottled everything up. There was no internal, no external. It just, I was just a caterpillar in a cocoon and I wasn't actually growing. I was just stuck there. Um, but I think as I've started to come out and you know, I've started to put faith back into, you know, humanity and people and, seeing um what tragedy can do um and how it can be uplifting for communities to, to to come together um like i said they're the things that sort of inspired you know this by some people's remarks atlantish decision <laughs> but it's those that know me know that you know there's no half measures with me you know i'm either all in or i'm not in and it's just taken a long time for me to get to that point and you know i know where my burnout came after John's death, you know, I had been working with Laura, slowly building it back from osteitis pubis. Um, so I was doing some running and getting a little fit. I'd promised I was going to run the um, 8K Shamrock Shuffle event with her as her first race back. John passed away. 
I then decided I was going to run the LA Marathon in his honour. And uh, four weeks of hard training, I ran 2.30 that blew myself apart. Like I ran myself so hard into the ground. And then I came back to run Shamrock Shuffle with Laura. And then I flew to Paris to pace a guy in a marathon. And then I flew to Australia for um, the Commonwealth Games commentary. And I remember running out on the spit the second day that I was in uh, Queensland. And uh, I got 10 minutes into the run and I'm just like, what the hell am I doing? And that was the day I stopped. And I mean, I've done some running since, but that was the day I actually stopped being a runner. I just, I walked back to the hotel and finished off the commentary. And, but then it was just a slow capitulation after that. It was just one thing after another. And I just, I just buried myself completely. Um, and as I said, it, it was, uh, it was funny how after so many years, things unraveled so quickly and how it's taken such a long time to build back up that I use this saying to my athletes all the time that Rome wasn't built in a day, but it fell in one. And no one ever throws the added extra bit on that it fell in one. And it's so true. Like I built so much for so long and it just fell so quickly. And now I feel like I'm trying to rebuild again and it's just taking such a long time. But I need to make sure that I have the right things in place so that it just doesn't fall as fast or as quickly as it did did last time so um you know i know with my athletes with just my own circumstances and what i've learned um as an athlete but then moving in as a coach that um some of these experiences you know will benefit some of them in the team just because we have like an honest and open relationship and we've got to have each other's back no matter what so if they can learn the, the toughest moments and the hardest moments and the most vulnerable moments from me hopefully that better prepares them as they move forward um, trying to achieve their Olympic success, just like Jake. Man, it's just wild to think of all the crazy things that have happened in, in your, not just your years as a coach, but like, you know, we didn't have time to talk about the story of when you went back to Australia to train and you were assaulted and you ended up on life support. Like there are so, you are not even 49 and there are so many things that have happened in your lifetime that, I mean, it's just wild. And you're just, you're entering the second half now. How does that feel? Uh, it's a heck, a heck of a lot better, I got to tell you. <laughs> when I turned 30, I had like a little bit of a mental breakdown because I was just like, oh man, I'm 30. I'm so old. And then <laughs> I, I laugh like, when oh, people man. say that now. I get to 40 and everyone was like, oh man, the 40s aren't going to be great. I'm like, oh no, 40s will be great. I got to tell you, 40s were hard you know, kids, twin boys, you know, like adapting to a new life in the in the US, like they were right. The 40s were really hard. But I think that's why people appreciate the 50s because all of a sudden they know where they are. They know what they want. You know, some people at this age, the kids are leaving the nest um, or they're nearly ready to leave the nest. Um, yeah, it. my 40s were without doubt the most challenging of, uh, of my lifetime, but I'm still here. You know, my kids are happy. Uh, you know, my wife's got a great job and, you know, and she's happy. And, you know, I coach 60, 70 people in my community group. I've got my elites. We put on running programs for kids in elementary school. And, you know, life life is good. You know, um, it's not great. And I don't think anyone can say it's great, but life is good. And I've got to a point where sometimes it's always better to value uh, the glass being half full as opposed to being half empty. Yeah, it sounds like the community events that you guys do are super impactful and 
um, meaningful to the kids, the everyday runners out there. I mean, the elite space is just a small percentage of the people that you actually work with. Yep. And I I say that to a, to a lot of the people um, because so many people that are just recreational runners see the elite world this big mm-hmm. and they think it's massive. And I'm just like, it's not. I'm like, I'm yet to meet an elite doctor, an elite physical therapist, an elite lawyer. I said the word elite gets bandied around so much. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then those that weren't really elite changed it to sub-elite, right? You know, or I'm sub-elite. I still don't even know what that means. Like you're either elite or you're not. Um, you can be aspiring because you want to be a professional athlete. But I think there's got to be a clear distinction between the two that people try to murky the waters. And, yeah, the elite world is so minute. It really is. Um, and then it's okay if you're not an elite. Everyone else is still really cool and striving things in their own right, you know. And so having these subsections to label you just because you want to feel good about yourself, I think, um, again, leads to the frustration of our sport, but then also other people looking at what others are doing and then realizing that they don't, they're not living up to that or they don't have self-worth. So, you know, that's another thing we have in our group. I don't have a sub-elite group. You know, it's either you're elite or you're not. Um, and I certainly coach people that are aspiring to be elite, but I don't want them to take away from the actual title of elite. Like sure. they deserve that title. They've worked hard to, to get there. And, you know, again, like here in Boulder, like it's probably 0.1% of the population of Boulder is elite. But everything is so caught up about uh-huh. Boulder and elite runners. And it's just like, man, we have great athletes, but we've also got so many great people here in this community that, you know, are working at CU. They're trying to find cures for cancer. You know, they're in the tech industry trying to create, you know, um, valuable ways for the tech industry to move forward. As I said, there are just so many awesome people that live in this town and they all just happen to run as well, which makes it really cool. I'm going to start calling myself an elite podcaster. <laughs> <laughs> you can. An elite mom. I'm an elite mom and an elite podcaster. Um, well, this has been great. And, you know, I want everybody to know if you want to hear Lee talk a little bit more about like his history with his Olympic experiences and stuff. If you search his name, he's on a gazillion other podcasts and he goes into that a little bit more in those. So I just want to put that out there because I know we didn't touch on that too much. Um, we always wrap up here, Lee, with what is something, and you might have already answered this with your police, uh, you know, conversation, but what is something professionally or personally that you would like to do that you haven't done yet? Well, I guess being the police officer is uh, was a given because we talked about it. Um, but uh, something that I would like to do that I haven't done yet outside of that is I would love to um, travel to, to more states uh, here in the country. I feel like that I've just been working so hard for the last 13 years that I haven't really experienced how wonderful uh, this country is. And one of the states that I would love to go to is Alaska. Ooh, I want to go to Alaska too in the summer. <laughs> yeah, in the summer, definitely not the winter. Um, well, I mean, it's at least, at least not traveling. You live in one of the most beautiful places to live. Absolutely. I mean, Boulder, I mean, they call it a bubble. Um, Boulder is an amazing place to live. But like I said, there's just so much more out there. I mean, America is just, it's made up of just so many different people, so many different cultures. It's amazing how I can travel with my kids and go from one state to another 
and the accents are different and they're trying to work it all out. You know, their lifestyle is different. You know, customs are different. Um, you know, in Australia, we've got, you know, obviously not as many states as you and there is a distinct difference going to these different states but having 50 plus states in a country to be able to travel to and see and and enjoy you know um i don't know if we'll ever go back to australia but if we do that would be one thing i'd want to do with my kids or with my family is uh try and get to see as many of the states that we haven't seen yet especially alaska do your kids have um dual citizenship no, so we're all Australians. Okay. Um, oh, okay. My kids sound American. Okay. Uh, my wife is sort of like a half blend, um, and mainly because of her job and dealing with so many people in the financial sector. Um, but yeah, I haven't lost my accent, and half the time, no one knows what the hell I'm saying, which is a good thing. Um. All right. What is the best, most recent book you've read? Uh, I'm not going to lie. I haven't read a recent <laughs> Probably the last uh, 18 months, two years. I love it. What is your favorite book you've ever read? Um, I definitely love reading the Billy Mills story. Okay. Um, and like I grew up idolizing Billy Mills. Um, so, you know, Ron Clark, Billy mm-hmm. Mills, that whole era. And I got to meet Billy about four or five years ago, which was just a, an unbelievable honor. But, you know, reading his story was uh, was pretty impactful and, uh, yeah, probably the best book I've read. I, you know, I've, I primarily like to read a lot of um, runners um, and really look at their background and then what they achieved and what they've overcome, you know. So I really enjoyed uh, reading that. And it was definitely different than the um, than the Running Brave movie that uh, obviously Hollywood put out. Yeah, for sure. Every time I ask that question, most people do have an answer, but I think about my husband because my husband does not read books. And I'm like, yeah. I, what would he... He reads articles all the time and, you know, whatever. But, like, what would he – how would he answer that question? Not everybody reads books all the time. Yeah. Well, Nelson Mandela, I did read that oh. uh, a number of years ago. And that was – you know, I met him. Well, I didn't met him, but I shook his hand at the uh, World Cross Country Championships oh, in 96 cool. when they were in, um, in uh, Stellenbosch, South Africa. And I thought that was a, was, a, was a great read as well. Okay. I need to read his. Um, all right. Last question. What is your last message to leave with our audience today? Live life, enjoy life, and at the end of it, make sure you've got no regrets. Lee, thank you so much for your time and sharing your story. So honestly, I know that not every part is easy, and I think that it's a really honorable thing that you just like Share it with true honesty. Thanks, Lindsay. I appreciate it. All right, friends. Thanks for being here today. Thank you, Lee, for sharing your story, for opening up about hard things, talking to us about fun things, and we are cheering you on in this next career move that might be happening for you. You all can find Lee on Instagram. He is Lee Troop 73 You can find me personally on Instagram. I'm lindsayhine626, as well as Twitter, at lindsayhine, and Facebook. I'll have another podcast with Lindsay Hine. This podcast is part of the Sandy Boy Productions Podcast Network, and we are so excited about the other shows in our network as well. Why is Everyone Yelling with Lindsay Hine, which is a podcast for parents hosted by me. The Urban Pharmacy hosted by Stacey Heine. That is a holistic nutrition podcast business mindset podcast. And we also have the Illuminate podcast, which shares stories of people doing really inspiring and important work in the world. 
Thanks for being here. Have a great Friday, a wonderful rest of your weekend. And as always, we'll see you next Friday.